1: This episode of On The Rock will give you keys to survive and succeed in the days ahead
0: by hearing and doing the words of Jesus. I'm a firm believer in the benefits and blessings of Bible prophecy. And in today's program, we're going to focus on the single most important event of it all. Stay tuned. Our series is entitled, The Coming King, Understanding the Book of Zechariah, a verse-by-verse audio commentary, which is part of our larger Understanding the Bible series. Bible prophecy can be a very popular topic. It hasn't been in the last while, but I believe it's making a comeback because there's something in the hearts of people that really do want to connect with the future and to see that God is in control and that he has the nations in his hands. In our particular lesson, we are going to focus on the single most important event of the whole prophetic program. What could that event be? Think about it for a moment. It's called the blessed hope. And this single most important event has to do with the coming of the king. In fact, that's what this series is entitled, the coming king. And of course, we're not just talking about any king. We are talking about the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ, son of David, soon coming king. Remember, because he's the son of David, he's going to rule on David's throne and because he's the son of God he's going to rule on David's throne because the Messiah the Christ the anointed one son of David is concurrently simultaneously and gloriously son of God too. just read verse Chronicles 17 as well as 2nd Samuel chapter 7 this is the passages speaking of the covenant God made with David saying I'm going to give you a son he will sit on your throne forever And your son will be my son. That's why we refer to Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, as son of David, the son of God. Always in that context. Even his antagonists, when he was at the Sanhedrin facing an illegal middle of the night trial, the high priest said, Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one, meaning God? What we're going to see is that the king himself is coming, and he's coming to Zion. He's coming to Jerusalem. He's coming to the city of the great king. He's coming for a very important purpose. What we saw in the last lesson is that God was going to gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. Jerusalem would be captured. It would be trifled with. There would be great distress. The rebellious nations would have victory temporarily. But this is all allowed by God. And what we're going to see is In the very next verse, Zechariah 14, verse 3, God takes action personally. He's not even dispatching angels on this one, nor is he dispatching his servants, his people, us. He is coming himself. What we see in Zechariah 14, verse 3, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. This is a most remarkable outcome. Zechariah fourteen two, it says God gathers the nations, just like he gathers them in the campaign we call Armageddon. Revelation 16 and verse 16, he gathered them in a place called, in the Hebrew tongue, Armageddon. I personally am very, shall we say, leaning to the possibility that what we see here is Armageddon. It is the gathering of the nations, first to fight against Jerusalem and then to be fought against, resisted and defeated by Almighty God Himself. If you read in Revelation 19, the rider on the white horse is coming, and that rider is, of course, Jesus. It tells us that the armies of heaven are with Him, although I have the feeling that when He confronts His adversaries, He will deal with them all on His own, certainly able to do so as King of kings and Lord of lords. When that happens and God comes down, in the form of Jesus Christ, Son of David, Son of God. What it means is, end games. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. And now let's read the entire passage of Zechariah 14, verses 3 to 7. The King is Coming is our lesson title. And again, that's Zechariah 14, verses 3 Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof toward the east and towards the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north, and half of it toward the south. And ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal. Yea, ye shall flee, like as ye fled from before the earthquake, in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come, and all the saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day, that the light shall not be clear nor dark, but it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. We've just been reading Zechariah chapter 14, verses 3 to 7. Again, our lesson is entitled, The King is Coming, or even the King has come. This is the culmination of everything that was written in the prophet Zechariah's prophecy. But indeed, it's really the culmination, fulfillment of what all the holy prophets have shared, that Messiah is coming first time to die for our sins, second time to judge, to establish his kingdom and to reign. And that's why we face the things that we face because we're in the home stretch of prophetic fulfillment. What we learned earlier is there is a battle that's raging over Jerusalem. It is a battle that would seem in the natural to be political and I know the politics very well, but that's not my purpose here. I'm not here to talk politics. I'm coming to you as a Bible teacher, even as a theologian, and showing you that ultimately this issue involving Jerusalem, the fact that the prophets spoke that Jerusalem in the last days would be the center of international controversy and eventually international conflict, that this is what the prophets said, and that's exactly what we're seeing today. Yes, I understand there is the conflict between jerusalem in the hands of israel and of course palestinian arab claims muslim claims and for that matter there's even claims from other entities but they're prepared to hold back and see what transpires between the two parties but remember there's something even more at stake here and it has to do with a spiritual conflict a conflict talking about principalities and powers that are for the lord for his purposes, and those that are against. So, it's not that God plays favorites. It might seem like that superficially, but friends, we're not meant to be superficial. We're meant to be deep. We're meant to grow in God, to flourish in God, to fulfill his purposes, to die to self, die to self-will, die to personal resourcefulness, and to put all our trust in God, knowing he loves everybody. In fact, he loves everybody so much that he sent his only begotten son. Remember John 3:16. It's not that God so loved the Jew. It's so God so loved the world, everybody Jew and Gentile inclusive. That's why he sent Jesus that whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have the gift, the free gift of everlasting life. We don't pay for this gift gifts. You don't pay for you receive freely and you better receive gratefully, especially a gift like this one. Therefore, the battle for Jerusalem is really a battle for the kingdoms of this world and the principalities and powers behind it versus the kingdom of our Lord and Christ. As I get n- never get tired to remind my listeners, when we say the Lord's Prayer, we are praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, for the kingdom to come, we need the king to come. And for the king to come, we need to sort out this Jerusalem question. Because ultimately, the battle for Jerusalem isn't something to deal with nationalism or politics. The battle for Jerusalem is the fact that this is the city of the great king. As per Psalm 48, verse 2, and Matthew five thirty-five. the city of Messiah, the son of David, to rule on his throne permanently and simultaneously to be God here on earth because when it it says the Lord comes forth to fight against those nations, we're talking about Jesus. He's the only one that would fit the description that is given therein. So back to the point. There has been for a century This question of who owns Jerusalem, ever since the last internationally recognized owner-occupier of Jerusalem, the Ottoman Turks, went out of business at the end of the Great War. Although, I might just drop a little teaser here, there has been some talk coming from very interesting quarters of a return of the Ottoman Empire. I would have absolutely scoffed at such a notion not long ago. But I'm not so sure we can scoff. All I want to say is this. Turkey today is one of the most important countries in the world. And Turkey, very possibly, has significant prophetic implications in the last days. Not just from Zechariah, but actually from different parts of Scripture. Pay attention particularly to Ezekiel 38 and the place names there. So I just tell my listeners regularly and freely, keep your eyes on Turkey. Because if Turkey changes, the whole world will know about it. And if the Ottoman Empire, by some fluky reason, comes back into existence, it also will play a pivotal last day role. All I'm saying is, watch this space. So back to the point. Jerusalem has been the center of conflict, well, for, for millennia. It's been attacked and conquered or attacked at least maybe 40 times in its history. That's really at least once every hundred years, and even then, you know, it's been pretty ferocious. However, today it's in a very unique place, and it is being declared the reunited capital of a reconstituted Jewish state for the first time in 1900 years. For the Jewish people, and for conservative Bible-believing Christians, this is very significant. For Arab people, it is very painful, because there has been an Arab presence in Jerusalem, well, at least officially since the 7th century, when Islam came. And not all Arabs are Muslim either. But the thing is, it's painful. There's, it's, think of Ishmael, how he, the son of Abraham, was rejected, ejected, dispossessed, and though he has been blessed... And God said he would bless Ishmael simply because he's Abraham's son. There's still that tender, sore, and wound. I say this just so you can understand a bit of the Arab point of view. Having said that, and of course, I believe in being objective, and I believe in being truthful. That's what we're about here. In teaching God's word, God's word is truth, and just trying to be as even-handed as it is possible in a highly contentious issue like Jerusalem. But let me say it again. Ultimately, friends, listen to me carefully. And I've dealt with this Jerusalem issue for many, many years. The bottom line is not political. It's not national. It is spiritual and theological. And ultimately, we have to decide who is going to be our Lord. And we believe the Lord is the Lord. Full stop. There is only one Lord, and he is it. So it says the Lord will come down and fight against those nations. Which nation? The very nations he gathered to battle against Jerusalem. So God does the gathering, and then remarkably he comes down and goes forth to fight against those nations, just as he fought in the day of battle. Remember, God is the gatherer, but God here is now the warrior in the person of Jesus Christ. Read Revelation 19 for more details. Revelation chapter 19 is specifically about the second coming of Jesus. And let us not forget the book of Revelation, which I love to teach and even now writing a book on it. The book of Revelation is not about primarily the Antichrist, who is the beast. It's not about the devil. It's not about the harlot of Babylon. It's not about the false prophet. The book of Revelation is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is his revelation and it is about him. So because of that, Chapter 19 is the centerpiece, for it talks about Christ's return to this planet. Chapter 20 talks about his earthly rule, and chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation speak about that blissful period called the eternal state, which follows after the millennium or the thousand-year reign of Christ. So then, in verse 4 of Zechariah 14, is also a remarkable prophecy, and his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east. Whose feet will stand on the Mount of Olives? The Lord's feet. Now we know God is light. We know God is love. We know God is a spirit. So when did God have feet? And I say this with reverence. Well, the feet have to be the feet of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of Man, as well as the Son of God. He clearly has feet because not only did he walk up and down his ancient homeland, preaching the gospel in Galilee and Jerusalem and Perea and so on, but his feet were pierced on the cross for our sins. Those same pierced, blessed feet that brought us the gospel and suffered for our sins and shed blood for our cleansing and redemption, those feet, same feet, will stand near to where Calvary was, on the summit of the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives first mentioned when David fled from Absalom. The Mount of Olives, which has the most ancient Jewish cemetery in the world. The Mount of Olives, which is not only where Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, but at the foot of the Mount of Olives, he was betrayed by Judas Iscariot at a place called Gethsemane. Now this Mount of Olives is going to bear the feet of Jesus. And when he touches the Mount of Olives topographical changes will occur. It says that Mount of Olives is just to the east of Jerusalem. In between the old city of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives is the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which could also be part of the Armageddon battlefield, though it's pretty narrow and pretty deep. Anyway, when the Mount of Olives has the feet of Jesus, it shall cleave in the middle, therefore toward the east and toward the west, and there will be a very great valley where there's the Mount of Olives, the One half of the mountain will move to the north, and one half of the mountain will move to the south. Let me tell you, when God comes back through the person of Jesus, the corn is going to pop, things are going to happen, the earth itself will respond. Our lesson has been called, The King is Coming. What is our lesson for life? Our lesson for life is when the Lord returns, Jerusalem will realize its true destiny as the city of peace. Remember to visit us at our Facebook page, Teach All Nations Education. And thank you for liking our page. Please also visit our homepage at tan.tan.org.au. Visit tan.org.au to sign up for the free monthly Issachar Teaching e-letter, helping you to become future-ready with articles on the Scripture, victorious Christian living, and current events in the light of God's Word. Thank you, Heavenly Father. That Jesus is coming back. He will win against rebellious nations. His feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives. How we look forward to this wonderful day, this blessed hope. And God, in the meantime, thank you for your presence, your protection, and your provision so that we can fulfill the Great Commission and hasten the coming of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.